Can you dream of a world immune to cancer? Hello, everyone. My name is Nick, and I'm the host of the annual live stream for The Cure, where content creators and podcasters from around the world join me to raise money for the Cancer Research Institute and Immunotherapy Research, which is training the body's immune system to fight against all forms of cancer. Over the past seven years, thanks to the power of indie podcasters and the indie podcasting community and listeners just like you listening to this right now, we have raised over $90,000. And as I record this now, the eighth annual live stream for The Cure is barreling down upon us really, really quickly in just about two weeks. So join us, please, from May 29th through June 1st for 48 hours of amazing content from people all over the world and help us fight for a world immune to cancer. And I'll return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Thank you so, so much. And together... We can make a difference. Yes, words are useless. Gobble, 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 gobble. Too much, darling, too much. That is why I show you my work. That is why you are here. In a world overflowing with movies, we need a hero. Someone to separate the bad from the good. Hi everyone, I'm Em and welcome to Verbal Diorama episode 30. Wow, 30 episodes, that's crazy. Uh, And today we're going to be talking about The Incredibles. This is episode four of my animation season, uh, following on from Arthur Christmas, Akira and Kubo and the Two Strings. And all of those movies are amazing, but none of them really set the box office alight. The Incredibles, however, was a huge success for Pixar their sixth animated movie and Pixar, if you live on the moon and you don't know, are one of the biggest, most successful animation studios ever. Uh, Pretty much every single one of their movies has been a box office success and the vast majority have been critical darlings, starting with Toy Story in 1995. Um, This movie, The Incredibles, is my favourite Pixar movie uh, in a vast arena of excellent movies from Pixar. I love all of them in my own way. Um, Toy Story might be my favourite franchise, um, mainly because each movie just seems to surpass the last one. Um, Except Toy Story 4, um, I have reasons for that. I'm not going to go into them. I think Up is a masterclass in character and world building. Wally basically created a whole character without any dialogue and made him empathetic and emotionally resonant. I could go on. But I feel like this is going to be a really long episode anyway, uh, because I've got so many notes to go through. So I'm going to keep this episode purely focused on The Incredibles and the world of the Parr family. I'm not even going to do any news or anything like that, mainly because I don't have any, but also because this is going to be an absolutely massive episode and I really want to focus. Um, The Incredibles, for me, is the all-rounder from Pixar. It's the big hitter. Um... I'm actually not planning to talk about the sequel um, because I want to save that for another episode. 
but the first movie hits every note for me. It's got a relatable story, great characters, great voice work, outstanding music, and it really pushed the limits of what CG animation could do at the time. It's the mummy of animation for me. And if you've listened to my episode on The Mummy, I mentioned it successfully mixes uh, all of these different genres. So it mixes action, adventure, romance and comedy. Um, the Mummy obviously also has a horror element to it. There's none of that in The Incredibles. Instead, we get this sort of superhero slash spy story um, mixed in with action, adventure, romance and comedy. And it's in this perfectly beautiful little package. Um I remember first watching the teaser trailer and just being so excited for it. Um, we'd had X-Men and X-Men 2 up to that point, along with Sam Raimi's Spider-Man movies um, in the run-up to 2004. Um, superhero cinema was just kind of starting to become a thing. This was obviously before the MCU was a thing, but I was a big fan of the X-Men movies and Sam Raimi's Spider-Man movies up to that point. And The Incredibles felt very much in that realm, but it also felt different. Um, sort of like it was simultaneously paying homage to and maybe mocking the genre a little bit as well. Um, so here's a trailer for The Incredibles. This is something. That's fine. I mean, I can break through walls. I just can't. That's fine. Get this. <laughs> oh, showtime. Times you save the world, it always manages to get back in jeopardy again. I feel like the maid. I just cleaned up this mess. Can we keep it clean for for ten minutes? I'm at the top of my game. I'm right up there with the big dogs. Girls, come on. Leave the saving the world to the men? I don't think so. Super ladies, they're always trying to tell you their secret identity. Think it'll strengthen the relationship or something like that. Edna. Your sword can stretch as far as you can and still retain its shape. Virtually indestructible and machine washable, darling. That's a new feature. Message complete. Stand back. Uh so uh synopsis for the incredibles following a court ruling finding superhero mr incredible culpable for damages after attempting to save people and the resulting series of lawsuits the super relocation act was enacted and all superheroes have been forced into retirement mr incredible and elastigirl are now just bob and helen parr they live a quiet life in the suburbs with an ordinary house normal jobs and three children disruptive and super fast dash shy violet who can turn invisible and project force fields and baby jack jack who seems to have no powers while helen enjoys the simple life bob yearns for his hero days and spends his evenings listening to police scanners with old hero buddy lucius when bob gets an offer from a mysterious woman named mirage to relive his glory days and help out a high-tech facility gone wrong he jumps at the chance without telling his family Soon, though, he gets into trouble and finds he needs all the help his family can offer to help him save the day from a diabolical mastermind with an evil plan. I'm going to say it now. This episode is going to be full of me gushing about this movie because I absolutely love it in every regard. But the main thing I love about it is the cast. Um, so I'll quickly run through the main cast. 
We have Craig T. Nelson as Mr. Incredible or Bob Parr, Holly Hunter as Elastigirl or Helen Parr, Sarah Vowell as Violet Parr, Spencer Fox as Dash Parr, Jason Lee as Syndrome or Buddy Pine, Samuel L. Jackson as Frozone or Lucius Best and Elizabeth Pena as Mirage. So it was written and directed by Brad Bird. Brad Bird has featured on this podcast before. You will know if you listen to that how much I love Brad Bird. Uh, Brad Bird also stars as Edna Mode and his son Nicholas stars as a little boy on the tricycle who lives near the Pars. Um, and the reason I want to talk about the cast is I just absolutely adore this cast of voice actors. I think Craig T. Nelson has just this wonderful quality to his voice. It's, it's like... It's like slicing a knife through audible butter. And if you partner that with Holly Hunter's distinctive sort of almost gravelly Georgia accent. And for me, you have two of the greatest casting decisions Pixar have ever made right there. Um, And on the last episode on Kubo and the Two Strings, I mentioned about Hollywood's decision to cast names. Um, And although in this cast we do have the legendary Samuel L. Jackson, he is playing a fairly minor role in the movie. Um, Holly Hunter, obviously, let's not forget, is an Oscar winner, but she's not really a bankable star like someone like Charlize Theron or Matthew McConaughey is. Um, And that's one of the reasons why I think they purely cast this movie based on the voices rather than the names behind the voices. And it's perfect. I'd argue that the only other voice that's so distinctive and perfectly cast is H. John Benjamin. And if you don't know who H. John Benjamin is... um, He plays Sterling Archer um, in Archer. And he also does Bob Belcher on Bob's Burgers. Um, And he's the same voice in both. So when I first started watching Archer and then I started watching Bob's Burgers, it was like really weird because his voice is so distinctively Sterling Archer and it's so distinctively Bob Belcher. Um, But Craig T. Nelson and H. John Benjamin both have these really distinctive, really... Okay, I'll be honest, audibly really sexy voices <laughs> um, that I think work really well. Rounding out the cast is Sarah Vowell, who's not an actress. She's actually a presenter. And Brad Bird knew that he wanted her for Violet. Um, and I have to give props to Jason Lee because I think he gives a really great performance of Syndrome. Um, he also plays child Buddy as well, which I didn't actually realise until I um, did some research on this movie. But... The whole cast is phenomenal. So I'm just putting it out there. The cast is great. To be honest, I'm not going to go into the production history in as great detail as I normally would. I have, like I say, lots and lots of notes to go through. But a lot of it is mainly on the content of the movie itself rather than how they actually made the movie. Um, But I want to talk a little bit about Brad Bird. Because once upon a time, I did an episode on the Iron Giant. It's episode 17, if you're wondering. And in that, I go into detail on Brad Bird. Um, Now, I guarantee that if you enjoy The Incredibles, you'll enjoy the Iron Giant. Um, But for the sake of those who haven't watched or listened to that one, here's a little bit about Brad Bird. Um, I'm basically taking it from the Iron Giant episode and slotting it in here. Um, Young Brad Bird had dreams of becoming an animator as a child, uh, a dream he never gave up on. When he was 11, he toured the Walt Disney Studios and announced he was going to join someday. He was given a scholarship by Walt Disney Animation to the California Institute of Arts, where he graduated alongside John Lasseter and Tim Burton. 
Uh, Walt Disney employed him as soon as he graduated and he worked on Disney's The Fox and the Hound in 1981. Uh, he voiced his opinions and he openly criticised Disney management for playing it safe during that production and he ended up getting fired. Um, and the reason I mention this specifically now is Brad Bird is the sort of guy who clearly doesn't like to play it safe. Um, all of his feature films push boundaries. They have multiple meanings and messages. And after leaving his dream employer, he was open to a project where he could take the risks he wanted to take. Um, and when I mentioned that in The Iron Giant, I was specifically talking about The Iron Giant. But when we're talking about The Incredibles, the risk taking still applies because Bradbird was still contracted to Warner Brothers post the box office failure of The Iron Giant, um, which is another thing I go into in that episode, and I won't repeat it here. Um, and the idea for The Incredibles came before The Iron Giant uh, back in 1993. So Bradbird was going through a family drama and he conceived this idea of a family of superheroes. Um, and it was the loss of his sister to gun violence and the resulting grief that kind of led him to the production of The Iron Giant. Because as I mentioned in that episode, it's essentially the story of if a gun had a choice, would it choose to be a gun? Um, so seriously, watch The Iron Giant. And if you have, listen to my episode on it, because I think you'll like it. When The Iron Giant flopped, Warner Brothers closed their animation division. And Brad Bird sort of started to question his choices in life. Um, especially kind of the choice between being torn between the family life and having a successful career. Um, and this is a question pondered by parents all over the world and looked into developing his story about this family of supers. Um, and he specifically wanted to pay homage to the superhero and spy genres that he kind of grew up enjoying. Um, he contacted his old college buddy, John Lasseter, who was working at Pixar, uh, and he pitched this idea to him. Um, and rather than have it traditionally animated, as Brad Bird originally intended, Lasseter basically convinced him that CG animation was the way forward. Um, and essentially, Brad Bird became Pixar's first out-of-house filmmaker. Uh, but the making of The Incredibles, as it is, wasn't easy. As I said, he likes to do things more difficult. Um, Pixar have never had human characters lead their movie before, so they had to tackle things like realistic human hair, um, violets being kind of the prime example. Um, it was mainly set on an island, so they had to tackle water. Um, and although Finding Nemo came out the year before and was set in the ocean, the way water flows, splashes, and especially reacts with other things, sort of like aforementioned hair, both under and above the water, all had to be worked through. Uh, because fish, FYI, do not have hair. It also had fire. It had big explosions, small explosions, uh, lava, you know, all of that sort of stuff which had never been done by the studio before. It also had more set pieces than any other Pixar movie up to that point. And while Pixar's heads were really excited about the prospect of this fast-paced action superhero movie, the animation team were like, whoa, what do you want us to do? You know, because uh, it was a mammoth task. Um, and so rather than sort of have the usual suspects, um, Brad Bird was basically like, no, get the other guys, get the black sheep, get the animators who have these big visions, but never have a chance to work them. Get these guys who want their foot in Pixar's door, but have never managed to get it done before. And Pixar executives were basically like, what do you want, Brad Bird? Y you got it, basically. Um, they kind of saw beyond the cost of this vision and gave Brad Bird free reign to do pretty much whatever he wanted. And I have spoken in the past about the decision to give free reign and when it's backfired. Um, because... 
there's a guy who worked at Pixar. His name's Andrew Stanton. Um, and I talked about him on John Carter um, because he's a prime example. But Brad Bird seemed to have the right amount of enthusiasm, level-headedness and vision for them to trust him implicitly. And let's be honest, Brad Bird, he did good. Uh, every set piece is flawless. Every action scene is perfectly pitched and staged. It has some of the greatest superhero fights ever accomplished on screen because... You can literally achieve anything in animation. Um, that's why it's such a great art form. And that's why I'm running this animation season to highlight the excellence of animation. Um, it's the little things like the fact Brad Bird chooses to put certain items or characters out of focus in a shot. Um, and that's mainly to highlight something or someone else. Um, and usually that's a live action thing because a live action camera can't focus on something close up and something far away at the same time. But in animation, everything can be in focus on screen. Um, and he chose not to do that. And it really draws your eye to the area of the screen he wants you to look at. And that's something another movie forthcoming in this animation season also does to incredible effect. But more on that after the next episode. I'm not going to dwell on the similarities between the Parr family and the Fantastic Four, mainly because I feel like everyone said this is the greatest Fantastic Four movie ever made, and it is. But case in point, the actual live-action Fantastic Four movie that came out the following year had to change its script and its CGI because this movie was so outstanding. And they were like, we need to do better, <laughs> guys. Um, if you've seen that movie... Do you remember seeing Mr. Fantastic stretch for the first time and thinking it was the best CGI you'd ever seen in your life? No, uh, me neither. But you remember seeing Dash run through the forest being chased by henchmen for the first time and just thinking, wow, you know, this is marvellous. No pun intended. Um, and it was just the sheer scope, scale and speed of that one set piece. The Incredibles didn't ruin Fantastic Four. Fantastic Four just wasn't good enough to distinguish itself because it had the limitations that The Incredibles just didn't have. Um, there's also hints of Watchmen, um, especially the superheroes being forced into retirement. Um, and again, I'm not really going to dwell on Watchmen either. Um, but while it is a little bit more mature than other Pixar movies, it still retains this kind of family-friendly rating. And just back on the Iron Giant, um, I am going to mention the Iron Giant a little bit sort of throughout this episode. Um, there are a couple of little references to the Iron Giant throughout the movie, but my favourite is India Golf 99er. Um, and India Golf 99er is the plane that Helen flies to No Man Is An Island, uh, which is also called No Man Is An Island. Um, and India Golf 99er is IG-99, which stands for Iron Giant 99, because the Iron Giant came out in 1999, which is... Just a lovely little, lovely little cherry on the top of this little perfect package. Um, so, The Incredibles. Uh, it was originally titled The Invincibles and it had the working title of Tights. Um, and it takes place in this kind of alternate futuristic uh, version of the 1960s. It's what the 1960s thought the future would look like. And it basically adds to this very... 60s James Bond spy movie style um, and it's it's kind of retro it's futuristic and it's also timeless kind of all at once and the way I look at it is it's all style all substance because it's it's just everything is just so great in this movie um, I want to talk very briefly about the score what am I talking about briefly? I never talk briefly about anything. But that Michael Giacchino score is uh, its just amazing. Um, 
But I was floored and baffled by the fact it failed to pick up an Oscar nomination. Um, and yet again, uh, is one of the reasons why the Oscars are such a big fail. <laughs> they just are. This is one of the best scores of any Pixar movie ever. Um, it's instantly recognisable. It's kind of sitting on that 60s James Bond familiarity. Um, it's also the first Pixar movie to introduce the main theme over the Pixar logo rather than having your standard Pixar uh, logo theme. Um, it's got bass, it's got bass flute, it's a harp, sort of going into the classic. Um, and then the da, 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 da. Oh, I love it. I love the score so much. I think it's just it's just one of the greatest scores ever. It's so recognizable and it just brings a smile to your face. Obviously, when we're talking about the music, sort of before the music, you get this uh, you get this introduction um, and it's kind of interviews with the three main heroes. So with Mr. Incredible, Elastigirl and Frozone. Um, and I specifically love it because I feel like the movie could have introduced with kind of a big fight or um, a fight montage or or something to that effect, you know, introducing the characters and their powers. And I feel like having these really simple interviews sets up the characters, how they felt about being heroes when they were heroes. Um, that was almost kind of chore-like, really, because they'd been doing it for so long at that point. It was it was just like a regular job for them. And Mr. Incredible says like, oh, I just cleaned up this mess. Um, and then the movie goes through this, these titles with this music um and then it's kind of straight into a day in the life of mr incredible um intercepting robbers saving a cat from a tree saving a man from committing suicide which it kind of glosses over but to be honest i don't think that man could sue because i think suicide's illegal but anyway it doesn't matter and intercepting bon voyage um which interestingly uh, was originally called bon perignon um but the makers of the champagne refused permission for that. So he became Bomber Voyage and it introduces Buddy as Incrediboy. Um, and whilst the movie goes to great lengths to ingratiate us with the characters of Bob, Helen and Lucius kind of straight off the bat with that little interview montage, um, it's also could very easily at this point throw Mr. Incredible's character down the toilet um, purely by his treatment of Buddy um who yeah he's an annoying kid but he is just essentially a young kid with this big dream um and it it saves mr incredible just by making buddy out to be that annoying kid um but i think we can safely say that mr incredible's treatment of buddy at the start isn't particularly great um i think you could argue that had he actually shown buddy some kindness rather than you know arrogance and dismissal um it's highly likely Syndrome would never have actually existed in the first place. But Mr. Incredible is a superhero and he does know that he's a superhero. He is a little bit arrogant, um, but he's also really likeable. Um, and I think that's down to a really great script and a really great performance uh, by Craig T. Nelson. And I think it's because of this wonderful tone he has to his voice sort of whether he's shouting or whether he's kind of talking lovingly with Elastigirl. Um, it's just, it's like it's like toffee or caramel. It's just such a gorgeous tone to his voice that 
I find it just instantly warms you to Mr. Incredible, regardless of the fact that he's not being very nice to a kid. This kid's really annoying and it doesn't matter because Mr. Incredible is just seems like such a great guy. <laughs> it's really wonderful. Um, and talking about Elastigirl and Mr. Incredible and the scene that they share together at the start, um, their chemistry is off the charts for a Pixar movie. For for any kind of animated movie that's aimed at families, I mean, they are full on with the chemistry and that is absolutely wonderful to see um, because it's believable and it's really sexy and they're playing around with their, you know, their superhero identities when they both catch the mugger, even though the mugger insists that she got him first. And it's a very typical superhero scene where they cordially greet each other, flirt a bit and part ways. But the chemistry between the characters is really palpable. And you can believe, actually, that they're about to be married. Um, And then when it kind of fast forwards, um, it shows how people do change as they age. Um, Because originally in the opening interviews, Bob expressed a wish to settle down and start a family. And now he's done that. And he just wants to relive his glory days. Um, Helen, on the other side, she was relishing the fact that she was fighting crime. She didn't want to be domesticated. And now she's a housewife and mother and absolutely loves it. Um, and and these kind of is going into the main theme of The Incredibles. And that's the theme of family. Um, and whoever you are and whatever your situation, you can relate to that because everyone has one. Um, it's a family drama in the guise of a superhero comedy. Um, parents kind of giving up their old lives once they have children. Um, but then once you've had the children, it's easy to feel like you're in a rut. Um, especially if you might have been incredibly successful prior to having your family and you're now struggling in a nine to five job that you hate. Bob as a person struggles with his secret identity being his only identity almost like he feels like that's not really him um and when we come to the family dynamic brad bird had a firm vision in mind he created a strong father because fathers are supposed to be strong um he created the stretchy mother because mums are kind of pulled in all directions by everyone um the invisible teenage daughter who just wants to hide from the world as teenage girls do and a hyperactive young son. Um, and specifically the baby has no powers. Um, and Brad Bird stated that's because babies are unrecognized potential. And similarly, they're also tiny dictators who control your life. Um, and when we're talking about powers and the powers that they specifically have, Um, it's important to note as well that even though these are superheroes even though they have superpowers when they get hit it hurts Um, they're not invincible um, despite the previous name both Bob and Helen experience notable pain and discomfort sort of throughout the movie um, specifically uh, where Bob stops the train um, at the very start of the movie he winces just before he's about to hit um, And although he has the strength to stop a train, it's still going to hurt when Helen kind of is stretching between the doors in Syndrome's base. She's obviously it's it's not comfortable. It's not comfortable to be stretched. Doesn't matter how stretchy you are. Um, There's a limit to the amount that she can stretch. The basic premise of the movie is what if dad 
had a midlife crisis and they all just happen to be superheroes who can't be superheroes because some stuff went wrong in the past and now they have to hide away. And when something does go wrong, it's alluded to in the movie by Rick Dicker, which is a great name, by the way, um, that it has happened before um, and that he has to wipe memories and he has to relocate the family every time Bob does something. And Bob is desperately trying to hold on to his excellence, um, which is why he's so encouraging of Dash's trips to the principal's office. And he wants him to excel at sports because he knows what it's like to be the best, but to be told you can't be the best. Um, so when he gets this opportunity to be exceptional once again, he can't control his desire to be that hero, despite the fact that there's always a possibility he could leave his family without a husband and father. His mortality, even though he has mortality, never factors into the equation because he's Mr. Incredible and that's who he wants to be. He doesn't want to be plain old Bob Parr. He doesn't want to work at insurer care. He's beyond that. And the movie kind of loosely plays on the tropes of him having an affair, you know, staying out late, lying to his wife, speaking with women on the phone. Um, and, and this is kind of where Helen comes into play in the movie because, as I mentioned, Helen was the ultimate career girl um, and she has changed over time. She's now relishing her role as a stay-at-home mum. This is something, an issue that's presented to a lot of women after they have children. You know, do you return to work? Do you stay at home with your children? And either option will likely get judgment from other people. Um, My view on the matter is... You save the world any which way you want. Uh, If that's returning to work, then great. If it's staying with the children, that's awesome. You know, mums are still heroes in my eyes. So be the hero, however you want to be. It's a choice and it's a choice for women everywhere. You make the choice. You're still heroes. Um, And Helen doesn't have this kind of illogical desire to relive the glory days she is pragmatic you know when she realizes where bob is um she doesn't hesitate to confront the situation Uh, she does have a brief moment with edna where she gets all upset um but she's not going to wait for her possibly philandering husband to return um she's gonna find him and bring him home um and basically teach him the lesson of all lessons um and at that point she's not aware of any danger but she's prepared for danger because she's a superhero she knows to prepare for danger and having violet and dash stow away isn't part of the plan but she kind of just goes with it because at that point it's kind of too late to turn around um and and send them back home um and they just so happen to have their super suits with them um the suits that edna made which is oh my god we can talk about edna in a bit but i love her so much when we're talking about helen and Violet and Dash on the plane. Um, This is where the movie excels beyond any other Pixar movie for me because it's this scene specifically where we get a true sense of danger. Um, So the island fires missiles at the plane um, and Helen immediately switches from uh, an annoyed, frustrated mother telling her children off for being annoying (laughs) you know like in the back of a car um and she she switches straight away from mum to pilot 
Um, and she is the consummate professional hero. She is cool under pressure to a point. Um, and Holly Hunter used real military plane speak um, in this scene too for kind of added authenticity. Um, and when she's talking to the uh, No Man is an Island Tower, she tells them um, there are children aboard the plane. Um, and that does not stop them from firing missiles. It does not stop the missiles from locking onto the plane. Um, and she realises, despite her best efforts, that she can't do anything to stop these missiles. Um, she then kind of switches back from pilot to mother and instinctively protects her children by wrapping kind of this virtually indestructible but machine washable darling, that's a new feature, suited body around them. Um, and the plane blows up. Um, and at this point, they're all falling to their deaths, essentially. They might be super, but these kids are still kids um, and they are petrified and they're screaming. And all she can do is grab them in the air and tell them to brace themselves for a sea landing. Um, because luckily she's Elastigirl, so she can basically make her body into a parachute. Um, and then when they're in the sea, they then have to kind of miss this falling debris um, and then she can turn herself into a boat um, because she's basically like, let's find land. That's where we need to be. Um, and when they're on the island, she tells them that these people are not like the bad guys on TV. Um, because as it's been proven by the fact that they tried to shoot down a plane with children aboard, these people will kill children. Um, and this adds kind of an additional layer of fear. Um, you know, a Pixar movie isn't about to kill three of its characters especially the fact that two of them are children but knowing these kids aren't going to be spared because they're children it adds this level of realism to a movie which sounds a bit odd considering we're talking about a pixar movie but it really does syndrome as i've mentioned has no qualms about firing at a plane with children aboard um and it's this that basically switches a switch on mirage because up to this point she's dealt with the fact that syndrome will kill superheroes but it's kind of there's a line that syndrome has now crossed because not only does he play with her life um he also plays with the lives of children um and that's kind of a step beyond what mirage will accept talking of the children specifically um unlike most movies aimed at children um because child characters can be annoying like and it's mainly live action that i find where child characters are the most annoying um but even sort of animated children can sometimes be really annoying um but dash and violet are actually pretty awesome um violet reminds me of me so much when i was a teenager because i wanted to be invisible um and i didn't want to have to deal with the world um and I just wanted to be normal. Like, Violet just wants to be normal. Even though I was probably the most normal, most average teenage girl on the planet, I always felt abnormal. So, like Violet, I hid behind my hair a lot. I can proper relate <laughs> to Violet. Um, and I can also relate to having a super energetic younger brother. Um, and Dash, I mean, Dash is just such a bundle of joy um he reminds me a lot of my nephews as well um just kind of these little kind of blonde bubble of excitement and laughter and it's just so wonderful um but if you look at dash at the start of the movie um 
there's actually a little bit of mirroring with uh, with a young buddy um, uh, syndrome a lot um, because he's kind of playing up a little bit. He's annoyed. He's frustrated because he's not allowed to be exceptional. He's not allowed to use these powers. And he questions why his parents tell him to be the best he can be, but he's not allowed to be the best. Um, and then when Helen tells the children the truth on the island uh, about these people, she basically says, do whatever you have to do to protect each other. She essentially gives them express permission to use their powers to the full ability. Um, she tells Violet to be invisible and to protect herself and her brother. And she tells Dash to run as fast as he can. And the absolute unabashed, unadulterated joy at Dash realising he can go full speed, he can dodge punches and he can run on water. It's just, it's just beyond joyful. It's, it's pure brilliance to watch. Um, and this is kind of where the, the association with a young syndrome kind of just escapes across that water um because when dash is at full power he's basically as joyful and confident as his dad when his dad can use his power and it kind of reinforces that these heroes are meant to be heroes and that syndrome is not meant to be a hero um syndrome just wants to be famous um he wants to be a hero um and admittedly his ability to create hero tech is impressive um and i feel like given the right outlet he could have become a really great ally to the supers if they weren't completely illegal um but he's kind of a bit obsessed with the spotlight and with the admiration um but he doesn't actually want to help people uh he's really clumsy and he's oafish um, and he doesn't care about anything other than looking like he knows what he's talking about and just being famous. Um, and that's a bit of a stark contrast to Bob and Helen, um, who go out of their way to help. Bob does want the fame and glory, but he kind of goes out of his way to earn that. Um, and Syndrome doesn't. And that's basically the difference between them. Oh, my gosh. This... <laughs> There's so much complexity to this movie um, that on the surface is just a fun Pixar movie. Um, it's truly incredible. Um, and I, I use that term. I don't use that term lightly. Um, and I can't finish without giving props to the best character by far. Edna Mode. Um, uh, Edna is just great as i mentioned voiced by brad bird um interestingly a simple scene of her putting her hand through bob's ripped old suit um was actually really difficult to animate because it's really difficult for computer animation to understand how a hand goes through fabric um and that's obviously really simple to hand animate um, it's not so simple for a computer to understand. Um, so that actually took quite a lot of time to figure out how to do. Um, and I feel like the scenes with Edna are just so brilliant. Um, Edna is now working in Milan. She used to work um, creating suits for all of the major heroes. She now works in Milan with supermodels. She sees nothing super about them. She's 
she's very honest. Uh, she's very upfront. She's the voice of reason. Um, and she kind of encourages in her own way um, because she's got a slightly acidic way in which she encourages. Um, but she's the most iconic character in a movie that's full of iconic characters. Because we've talked about Bob and Helen and Dash and Violet. We haven't talked about Jack-Jack. Um, I mean, Jack-Jack kind of comes into his own in the second movie anyway. Um, but this beautiful little character animations with Jack-Jack, when he's just simply listening to people talking, uh, are just... I mentioned in the last episode, Kubo and the Two Strings, about they chose to animate something specific that they didn't have to. And I feel that about Jack-Jack because they didn't have to animate Jack-Jack being interested in what people were saying or having such a wide range of expression in his face. They could have just had him sit there like a normal baby, but they specifically chose to animate Jack-Jack like that. Um, we haven't even talked about Frozone. Um, obviously, Samuel L. Jackson. Um, Frozone is completely Samuel L. Jackson 100%. Uh, not only in voice, but in mannerisms. It's it's just Samuel L. Jackson in cartoon form. Um, obviously, he's Bob's best friend. Uh, and they listen to the police scanners together. And he's just cool. He's just so cool. And I just think, well, Samuel L. Jackson, he is cool. <laughs> like, he's, that's probably why they called him Frozen. I've just figured that out. <gasps> oh, my God. Mind blown. That's probably why... They called him Frozone and they gave him the powers of ice because he's so cool. And oh God, uh, literally, I've just blown my own mind. Pixar is not owned by Disney at this point. Um, Disney came in and bought Pixar after the fact, um, but it was distributed by Disney. And this movie has the second greatest amount of deaths on screen after Pirates of the Caribbean, which is another movie that I've done an episode on. Um, but, I mean, that's pretty crazy, considering it's a Pixar movie and considering it's mainly aimed at families. It has a lot of death, um, but then it has a lot of great action scenes and a lot of henchmen die. So, you know, sorry, henchmen. I always, whenever I think of henchmen, I think of the scene in Austin Powers. I think it's the second Austin Powers Um where you have the anonymous henchman um, who dies and then the wife of the anonymous henchman is called up and told that her anonymous henchman husband has died. It always gets me whenever we're talking about anonymous henchmen. But um, some other interesting facts about this movie. Um, we have a character called Elastigirl, uh, obviously. So Elastigirl is only known as Elastigirl for the movie. Because if you ever saw any promotional material or any toys or anything like that, she was actually labelled as Mrs. Incredible and not Elastigirl. And this was actually due to an objection by DC Comics because DC also had a character called Elastigirl who could basically get... It was basically she could grow large or small. She was a bit like the Ant-Man of DC. Um, but because she had the same name... Um, Pixar didn't have permission to use the name Elastigirl for promotional material. So that's why in every book or toy or mug or anything else that you bought at the time, she was called Mrs. Incredible. Um, it's the only Pixar movie to not 
feature the Pizza Planet truck. And there are a couple of shots online um, and they're basically just stills of city scenes in the movie, which, by the way, this movie is gorgeous, have I mentioned? Um, and they claim to have the Pizza Planet truck in them. Um, they actually don't have the Pizza Planet truck and Brad Bird has actually confirmed that the Pizza Planet truck does not exist in the movie because he kind of came in from outside. He didn't know about this whole Pizza Planet truck has to be in a Pixar movie thing um, and it just was never put in. So it is the only one that does not feature Pizza Planet. There is a tradition, however, in Pixar movies to have A113. So... There's two in this movie. So Bob's meeting is in room A113 at 2pm. Um, so that's the first one. And the second one is when Helen goes to find him. Uh, he's held captive at level A1 and room 13. And that is basically seen by the massive power spike used to keep him contained. Uh, there are a couple of cameos in this movie that I just want to mention. Um, so Frank Thomas and Ollie Johnston... They are legendary Disney animators. They are shown in the crowd after The Incredibles defeat the Omnidroid. Uh, and they basically talk about there's no school like the old school. And both of them had incredible long careers as Disney animators. Uh, they worked on features like Bambi, Pinocchio, Peter Pan, The Jungle Book, amongst many, many others. Um, they also provided voices on The Iron Giant as well. Um, they were fairly minor roles in The Iron Giant. Um, but again, I just wanted to mention because I didn't mention it in The Iron Giant and I feel like I should have done. Um, and Frank Thomas passed away in September 2004, um, two months before this movie came out. And Ollie Johnston passed away in 2008. Um, and obviously they've both incredible animators um, who've brought so many people joy. It's wonderful to see them in this movie. Um, and obviously, The Incredibles starts with the letter I. Uh, and there are lots of eyes in this movie. Um, lots of eyes for Incredible, not eyes that you see with. Uh, there are eyes dotted all over. Um, so many that I couldn't possibly list them, but they're everywhere. It's time for the obligatory Keanu reference. And it would be very easy for me to just turn around and say, well, Keanu Reeves is incredible, <laughs> but I'm not going to, because that would just be a cop-out. Um, so we all know that Keanu Reeves played Duke Kaboom in Toy Story 4. Um, and there is a link between Duke Kaboom and The Incredibles. So The Incredibles is set right before Incredibles 2 which, as I mentioned, is the sequel that came out last year. Um, and Keanu's character, Duke Boom, is seen in Incredibles 2 in Jack-Jack's playpen. Um, so Jack-Jack obviously owns a toy version of Duke Boom, um, which means technically Duke Boom is also owned by Jack-Jack in this movie, which technically means that Keanu Reeves is in The Incredibles. He's just not seen or heard. But technically, he is owned by Jack-Jack. Because we never see in Incredibles 2 a scene where Helen or Bob buy Jack-Jack this toy. Ergo, J 
Jack Jack already has this toy. And so that is how you put Keanu Reeves in The Incredibles. Boom. Duke kaboom. <laughs> oh, I didn't mean to do that. But anyway, I mentioned box office briefly at the start. Um, I mentioned that obviously this was another massive success for Pixar. So the movie was made for $92 million. Um, it made $261 million just domestically in the United States. It ended up making $631 million worldwide, um, which is even more incredible when you think that it took them 14 years to make a sequel. Um, and Brad Bird specifically said he would not make a sequel unless he thought it was at least as good as The Incredibles. Um, whether it is as good as The Incredibles, I mean, maybe I should leave that for a future episode on Incredibles 2. Um, but this movie was a massive success. Um, and it kind of speaks to the quality of Brad Bird, really, that he wasn't forced or didn't feel forced into making a quick sequel that was subpar oh god i'm gonna get my coat um right moving on to social media because every episode or mostly every episode i ask for social media thoughts and i got quite a few on the incredibles which is kind of what i was expecting because hey it's incredible um so on twitter um, we start with Andy from Geek Salad. Obviously, Andy has been on this podcast before. He featured on our Mystery Men episode. Um, and he basically comments as follows. He says, Where do we begin? Cracksman, of course. <laughs> Whenever you hear anybody say they can't make a good Fantastic Four movie, correct them and say the perfect Fantastic Four movie has been made and it's called The Incredibles. It's a film that precedes the era of hyper-real-world universes explored by Christopher Nolan, but it brings up a number of issues of superheroes, especially those whose past days are far behind them. The aspects of family unity and teamwork transcend many of the go-it-alone attitudes that were the hallmark of other hero movies at the time. And then there's Buddy's line, and when everyone's super, then no one will be. And we have Not For The Dinner Table. This is Dave. Hi, Dave. Not For The Dinner Table says the themes of having to hide your true self or being forced to by others to fit in really struck home at its heart it's a film showcasing that everyone even supers have to deal with normal problems excellent characters especially edna mode my favorite pixar movie mine too at offscreen babble this is Sade from Offscreen Babble, who's our Patreon producer, by the way, and also has been on Verbal Diorama. She was on our Pirates of the Caribbean episode. Um, and Sade says, The Incredibles is one of my favourite Pixar movies. I love how it tackles some pretty mature subjects in a way that children and adults can understand. Even at a young age, I could understand Mr. Incredible's midlife crisis slash depression and Mrs. Incredible's concern to keep her family safe by not using their powers. Also, there are so many amazing characters like Frozone, Edna and Syndrome. Just an overall awesome movie. I could go on and on. At Sean Geek Podcast said, At the time, the best depiction of a superhero film. It captured the Fantastic Four concept so much better than anyone else. Truly a game changer in animation, action and superhero films. At Derek Jones 198 said, I love everything about this movie. It's a pure delight. 
I've always felt The Incredibles captured the heart of Marvel's Fantastic Four, a super-powered family who have the struggles of every family. At, at the Flix Pod said, I saw it the day it opened in America in a large and almost empty cinema in New York. A fantastic and unforgettable experience. I was on my own as the rest of the family said they did not want to watch kids' film. Their loss. Damn straight, their loss. At I used to watch this said, This is my favourite Pixar movie, such a fun story and a good mix of action and family life. At Friends and Flayers said, I like the movie, but I feel like it's the cool classic of Pixar movies. I feel like it doesn't get the kind of recognition and acclaim like some other Pixar movies, like Toy Story or Inside Out. And that's a really interesting point, actually, and something I haven't mentioned. I mentioned the music specifically. I feel like that didn't get recognition. But I also do agree with Friends and Flayers that this movie is exceptional, but I feel like it is buried somewhat in this kind of stable of Pixar because people seem to think that everything else is a bit more accomplished. But if you actually look at the layers of complexity in this movie, it is extremely accomplished. Uh, it just doesn't look it. And I think there's there's kind of more to the surface than meets the eye. I was going to say there's more than meets the eye, but that's Transformers and we're not talking about Transformers. Anyway, um, I I feel like this, this episode has just been a little bit scatty. Um, I just want to talk about this movie so much and there's so much that I want to say that I haven't said um anyway I digress we're going to go on because we've got more at pulp serial said I rewatched it somewhat recently it aged well for the most part some of the animation hasn't brackets dead eyes this is my favorite Pixar film what I appreciate Bird does in this film that no one ever talks about he establishes atmosphere so well kids films never get that treatment at Kevin the Critic said, It's one of my favourite superhero movies. Love the action, love the comedy, love the exploration of mature themes in a family-friendly way without dumbing them down too much. A truly incredible film. At Hugo's Post said, What any Fantastic Four movie should strive to be, Pixar beat Fox to the punch and it'll be hard for Disney, Marvel to find an angle. Bring Brad Bird into right. Hmm, we'll have to see what Disney... Uh, by extension Marvel, do with the Fantastic Four. Um, that's going to be interesting. I think we should watch this space. Um, nothing from Instagram, which is strange because normally I'd get at least one on Instagram, but Instagram was quiet for this. Uh, but I did get some comments over on Facebook, so I'm going to mention those. Uh, Eric Carlson said, Definitely a childhood staple, up there with Wally and up for me. Introduced me to the work of Brad Bird, now one of my favourite directors, including The Iron Giant. Yay! The Incredibles DVD has some of the best bonus features ever because you not only get to learn about the full process, but also meet the people involved in creating this retro world. Also kind of interesting to find out this wasn't the first superhero film Bird worked on as he tried to adapt the spirit back in the 80s. And Lorraine Purden said, Really enjoyed this film. My toddler loves it, so I've seen it a few times. Loved the little James Bond connection with the hidden lair on Syndrome's Island hideout. Great action-packed family film. Right, we are coming to the end of this episode now and I feel like I feel like I could talk about this movie for hours and hours and hours. Um, just the themes of family and teamwork and being the best version of yourself and the characters and the wonderful voice work and the music and the comedy <laughs> and... 
and the way it looks is so pretty um and brad bird and i love that man <laughs> i just love him um but i i can't because i've i'm already really over time and i feel like i've said hardly anything um i know that's not true because I've literally been talking for 50 minutes and my throat is hurting so much. Um, <laughs> so I really do need to wrap it up. Um, but I just kind of wanted to end on the, the fact that this story's moral is simple. It's do what you love and love what you do. If you're miserable, fix it. Be the hero in your own life, whether that's by being the best parent or being the best child or just being the best person that you can be. Just be incredible. Or as Edna says, go, confront the problem, fight, win and call me when you get back, darling. I enjoy our visits. Thank you for listening. As always, I love to hear your thoughts on The Incredibles. Um, before I announce the next episode... I want to tell you a little bit about an incredible podcast. Um, I have briefly mentioned it, Off Screen Babble, uh, hosted by our Patreon producer, Sade, and her husband, Kyle. Their podcast is genuinely quite incredible. <laughs> and I just wanted to briefly mention, because I do talk about Off Screen Babble, because Sade's our Patreon producer, she does get uh, technically what one would refer to as a little ad. Um, but I specifically wanted to mention something... Um, about off-screen babble because I know that Sade and Kyle are trying to get 200 iTunes reviews specifically because they want to become Rotten Tomatoes approved critics. Um, so instead of talking about off-screen babble specifically, I just want to kind of implore you to, if you do listen to off-screen babble, go over to iTunes and give them a five-star review um, on iTunes because the more reviews they get, the easier and quicker they're essentially going to become Rotten Tomatoes approved. And I know that's something that Sade and Kyle just really, really want. So listen to Offscreen Babble, obviously. And when you realise that you love Offscreen Babble as much as I do, please leave them a five-star review on iTunes because I know they would really appreciate it. And let's help them become Rotten Tomatoes approved. Obviously, as I mentioned generally, um, you can listen to Offscreen Babble in whatever podcast app you use. Um, so Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. Um, their website is offscreenbabble.com um, or you can find them on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook at Offscreen Babble. Um, so the next episode, right. As I've mentioned, if you're a patron of the show and I have five wonderful patrons, um, their names are Sade, Simon, Hardiel, Claudia and Simon, they already know what the next episode is because as patrons, they get a list every month of upcoming episodes. Um, and so while this episode has been incredible, the next one will be awesome. Because you're awesome. I'm sometimes awesome. Everything is awesome. Is that enough of a hint? I think it might be. Um, so the Lego movie is coming next. Um, and I find the Lego movie quite fascinating because it should have just been a really terrible, awful cash grab. And it wasn't. It is wonderful. And I want to talk about why it's awesome. So episode 31 is going to be the Lego movie. Um, and that's going to be available very soon. 
If you like this episode, I've also done episodes on... Oh my God, I don't think my throat can... <laughs> I feel like my throat is going to die in any second because I'm so hoarse at the minute. <clears throat> right. If you like this episode, I've also done episodes on Titan AE, Captain Marvel, Dread, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Sky Captain and the World of Tomorrow, Pleasantville, The Cabin in the Woods, Speed, Aladdin 1992-2019, Pirates of the Caribbean, The Curse of the Black Pearl, X-Men Dark Phoenix, Charlie's Angels 2000, The Mummy 1999, The Matrix, John Carter, Willow, The Iron Giant, Scott Pilgrim vs. The World, Logan, Edge of Tomorrow, Legally Blonde, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Season 4, Episode 10, Hush, Mystery Men, Passengers, Stardust, Constantine, Arthur Christmas, Akira and Kubo and the Two Strings. Oh my God, I need a drink. And they can all be downloaded wherever you get your podcasts from. You can follow me on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube and Letterboxd at Verbal Diorama. You can support the show at patreon.com slash verbal diorama from $2 a month and you get some fab perks, including access to the upcoming schedule, a shout out on the next episode and Twitter, all the way up to becoming a producer, just like Sade. You can also, as a patron, get pre-release versions of episodes. So this episode is coming out a couple of days early for patrons. So if that's something that interests you and you want to support the show, then please consider it. Otherwise, you'll still get it for free. It'll just be a couple of days later. Uh, you can email me, general hellos, feedback or suggestions, verbaldiorama at gmail.com. My website is verbaldiorama.com. If you like what I do and you want to leave me a great review, you can do so on iTunes or Podchaser. I would really appreciate that. And I have a column over at Film Stories magazine, which is an independent British movie magazine. I also have a weekly podcast recommendation as well. I would love it if you would support the magazine and the website, um, just because there are some really wonderful people who work on that magazine and it would make their day, it would make my day. If you would pop over to filmstories.co.uk slash magazine, uh, you can purchase one-off copies. Um, you can subscribe. Um, and as I mentioned, I'm also doing bits for Film Stories Online. Um, I recommend a great British movie podcast each week. I also now update uh, a BBC iPlayer film list um, because for people in the UK, BBC iPlayer service they do show films on that service um, it's not something that many people know of but I am actually going to be doing a weekly little article updating the BBC iPlayer film list so if you're interested in watching a film um, you can watch it for free obviously because it's iPlayer um, and they normally have a catalogue of about 40 films that are available ranging from films from the 30s pretty much up to the now and so I will be looking after that as well. And we're done. And I really need a drink because my throat is so sore. Um, it's not sore because I'm ill. It's just sore from talking because I've been talking forever. Thank you for listening to this episode on The Incredibles. And my final thought, apart from just needing a drink desperately, is you sly dog. You got me monologuing. Bye. Movie